Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Uh, good morning again. Uh, my name is Harrison. I'm one of the pastors at EP. And I do want to welcome you to this time, whether you're here in this space or uh, you're online or... Um, Perhaps you've been in this space, but the Delta variant has said, has made you say, uh, we're going to back up a, little, a f- few more weeks. It's all okay. Um, just glad you're here. And worshiping with us, whether you're present or online. Can we go to the Father in prayer? Lord, we do indeed run to you. We run to you for mercy. We run to you for, for instruction. We run to you for grace. Lord, I pray that you'd pour it out on us. Father, as we open up your word, I pray that you would open up our minds, our hearts, and that you would transform us. Father, I pray that as I open up your word to preach it, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase that you would be honored and glorified far, far, far above all else. For you alone are worthy. And oh, you are so worthy. Father, this time is yours. Be glorified in it. In Jesus, amen. Amen. I, I look at this parable and I'm reminded of... Uh, of a scene that played out before me at the Outer Banks back in June when my family was vacationing there. You know, sitting in a, um, in a chair under an umbrella-type tent thing and hoping the wind doesn't blow it away. And I see a little, a little girl uh, down by the water's edge. And she had a little bitty green plastic shovel. You seen those kind of things that the, the little ones take to the beach? little bitty green plastic shovel about this big and she's sitting right on the edge of the water so her feet are kind of in the water and she's she's dipping up water with her little green shovel and she's throwing it over her shoulder and she dips again and she throws it over her shoulder and she dips again and she throws it over her shoulder every now and then she looked behind her to see where the water was it wasn't there I, I had to chuckle like that right 
because that little girl is, is in no way going to empty the Atlantic Ocean with that little shovel. You can't. You can't. And, and we can no sooner earn a righteous place before God with our own works. Why would we think we could? And yet Jesus speaks this parable to some who really thought that they could. He begins it very firmly, uh, some might think harshly. He says he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so with this very first, with the very first uh, phrase of the, of the parable, as Luke is setting it up, we see that, we see where it's going. You don't wait till the end. He, he, he summarizes it at the end, but, but he opens it up in the beginning. It's, he, he tells a parable of a scene that's taking place you know, in the temple of two that have gone up to the temple to pray, a, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Couldn't be farther apart. He speaks to the Pharisee, uh, of, of the Pharisee that is, uh, well, he would be like the, the number one religious leader of the day. If there was a, a religious Olympics, this guy would win the gold medal in every event. Just ask him, he'd tell you. He would win the gold medal. He would be the it. He trusted in his own righteousness and poured contempt on all others. His claim was that he was happy, he was thankful to God that God had not made him or her or or that God had not made him like the others, like the other thems and the hers and the hems that did all these other things. He spoke of those that were extortioners and unjust and uh, adulterers and tax collectors. And he was so thankful that he was not like, like those that he held in contempt. Who would be the them in your world? For Jesus isn't telling this parable just to the Pharisees. It's included in the book of Luke for us as well. Who would be the them in your world that you're thankful you're not like? We all have that in our lives. It's not just the Pharisee. I'm guilty. We all are in little ways and large ways. Let's unpack some of what he says. He says he's, he's not an extortioner, and he's glad he's not an extortioner. What was an extortioner? Someone that is an extortioner is someone that takes money that does not belong to them. They, they're cooking the books, so to speak. They're, they're taking $10 in and putting $1 over there, then 9 goes where it's supposed to go. And then they do it again and again and again until they build up their own little nest egg somewhere else. They're guilty of stealing something that belongs to another. And he says he's glad that he's not like that guy. But is he? Is he? In the very act of, of claiming his own righteousness, he's stealing glory that belongs to God and God alone. He is an extortioner. He's quite guilty. He's deceived himself. He says he's, he's thankful that he's not unjust like these others. But is he unjust? Justice was a big deal to, to God. It still is. Justice, as it's defined in Scripture, is different than the way we might define it in, in some of our circles today. Justice is defined as, divi is de 
defined as divinely righteous action, whether taken by humanity or God, that promotes equality among humanity. That's God's definition, okay, not mine. Divinely righteous action, whether taken by humanity or God, that promotes equality among humanity. So is this guy guilty of that or not? Is he, un- is he unjust? Well, the, the passage tells us that he's pouring contempt out on others. So in the act of pouring contempt out on others, in the act of saying, I'm so glad I'm not him, he has separated himself from the others. He's saying, I'm good, and he's not. I've got you, God, because of my works. He's going to hell. That's what he's saying. There's no justice going on here. There's no taking action to bring this other person along. He's unjust. He's guilty. He says he's glad he's not an adulterer. What's an adulterer? Well, sex is something that's, just, that's supposed to be between one man and one woman that are married to each other. That's the way God has defined marriage in Scripture. Forsaking all others and keeping only unto themselves. So adultery is when someone else enters into that sexual intimacy of the marriage bed. Is this man an adulterer? Well, he might not have done that physically. He might not have. But Jesus is very clear back in the Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 that if we even look at another person, a woman, a man, with with lust in our hearts, then we're guilty of adultery. So it's not just the act, but it's the thought of the heart. And Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that if we've been guilty of any of it, we're guilty of all of it. So we're guilty. He's guilty. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We're all guilty. What do we do with the guilt? He goes on. He says, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector that's on the other side of the room. Guilty. He says, I'm so good. I fast twice a week. I get tithes of everything. Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus is speaking to some Pharisees and um, scribes, religious leaders, who were tithing even a tenth of their mint, dill, and cumin, you know, little spices. And he calls them hypocrites. He said, you should do that. You should, you should keep doing that. But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. You've neglected to love others. You've neglected the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. Jesus calls them hypocrites in Matthew 23. So it's not enough just to, just to give of your mint, dill, and cumin, of your smallest everythings. If there's no love, and there's obviously no love, he's looking at the tax collector with judgment. He's acting in the place of a judge with with some sort of moral authority, but he has no moral authority. Only God has that moral authority. To treat others with contempt reveals that we aren't righteous at all. In 1 John 3, verse 15 John writes that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. He doesn't have the moral authority. 
And the fact that he's looking at others with contempt just proves it out. For what do you hold others in contempt? Don't raise your hands. But who in here has had contempt towards anyone else in the last week? You can keep your hands down, but I'll have mine up. In the last month, in the last year, in the last hour, we're all guilty. Jesus' charge to the Pharisee really comes down to two significant categories. One is self-righteousness because this Pharisee is trusting in his own righteousness before God. The second, the second is the contempt that he holds for others. Trusting in his own righteousness because of his own works rather than faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone. He's trusting in himself alone. And has contempt for the rest. Where do we see the contempt in our own culture? You don't have to go far, do you? Let's be fair. Let's be honest with each other, okay? You don't have to go far. And the contempt only grows and the dividing lines get thicker. Even amongst Christians. I'm afraid we're we're racing as believers an Olympic race to see who can get the greatest gold medal in the art of contempt. And it grieves the heart of our Father. There's another person in this parable, a tax collector, one that is pleading with God for mercy. He's in need of mercy and he knows it. Now, a tax collector isn't, isn't the same as, as like someone that works for the IRS. This is not about the IRS, okay? We own taxes, pay taxes. A tax collector in that day was someone that would have been a Jew, but he worked for the Roman government. So imagine you've got a cousin Matthew, and cousin Matthew comes and knocks on your door periodically. You open the door and say, hey, Matt, what's up with your bad self? And he says to you, John, you owe the taxes. But, 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 but Matt, you just, you just collected last month or last week. It's time to pay again, John. And by the way, the taxes have gone up. Hand it over. Hand it over. And you pay him 100 drachma in taxes or whatever you pay him. And he takes your 100 and he, and he gives 90 to the Roman government. So he's defrauding you and he's defrauding the Roman government. And he's becoming wealthy on the side. tax collector would not have been invited to dinner by his Roman cohorts. They had contempt for him. He was a Jew. They knew he was also a thief. He was also someone that betrayed his countrymen. They didn't want him in their home. But he's not invited to Thanksgiving dinner anymore either. He's that guy that if he asked out your daughter, the the father would say, "Uh, no way. Anybody but him. 
He's in no man's land. A man without a country, a man without a people, a man without a family. Not welcome anywhere. Furthermore, he knows he doesn't even measure up to God. When he asks for mercy, in verse 13, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. What he's asking for is propitiation. Great big theological word that means a lot. He's saying, Lord, have propitiation on me. The word means to, to sacrifice in order to appease God. Sacrifice in order to appease God. But we know from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, 22, there is no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. He knows that. So he, he knows that when he's asking for mercy, when he's asking for propitiation, he's asking for blood to be shed, just not his own. And so with, mercy, with, with, with a heart of repentance, he's begging God for mercy. Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Have propitiation unto me, a sinner. Have propitiation on me that does not measure up. Spill someone else's blood that I might have life with you forever. I think back to David, King David. The one who was an adulterer, the one who had taken Bathsheba, the one who had had her husband killed, the one that was the king of Israel, the spiritual representative of Israel, that King David. He goes before God in Psalm 51 and he cries out to God, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out, blot out my transgressions. Make them go away. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David knows, he acknowledges that God would be just He would be just in condemning him. He acknowledges that God is holy and that justice is warranted. And he's asking God to be merciful unto him anyway. This tax collector is begging God for mercy in the same way that David had begged God for mercy. Perhaps you've been in that place it's a good place to be perhaps you've also known the the contempt poured out on you for other things that you have done or not done that might have measured up to someone else's idea of righteousness Walked into Grohl's the other afternoon on the way home from work, and I'd just gotten word that um, a friend of mine had 
just gotten out of the hospital, ICU, um, with COVID. Vaccinated individuals still had COVID, still ended up in the ICU. Uh, and I mean, I've, I've been there, I've been vaccinated, so I haven't had COVID yet that I know of. But I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to walk into Grohl's. It's, you know, 5 o'clock on a Tuesday. I'm wearing a mask, you know. Put the mask on. I walk in the door, and I was surprised. Probably two-thirds of the people in there had on masks. But there was a guy that was looking at every other one of us that had on a mask, and he had this, this look of contempt on his face, this look of mocking. And I felt the contempt. I felt it. I knew that I didn't measure up to this guy's idea of what I ought to be doing or not doing. It didn't bother me. I felt for the guy, for whatever's going on in his own heart. And yet that contempt is rising in our culture. For that or a wide variety of different things. Maybe you felt that contempt at some point in your life. Maybe in the last week. It's very easy for us as humans, when we feel the contempt from someone else, to then have contempt back to answer contempt with contempt because hurt people hurt people people that have felt contempt have contempt on other people it's easy for that to happen it's a natural thing for that to happen yet it's not Jesus's reaction Jesus has had contempt poured on him like no one else on earth and he's the only one that has never deserved any of it apart The mercy that Jesus offers is mercy to the humble. It's mercy to those that come to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. He offers mercy to you and to me. It's Jesus facing us with a good but hard truth that we are not righteous in and of ourselves. Sometimes we hold contempt for others, but even if we don't, our righteousness will never measure up. In fact, our contempt of others only adds to the record of our sin. And like David or the tax collector, we cry out for mercy. Jesus' reaction is totally different than what our reaction might be. He's experienced the most contempt of, of any, deserved it the least, and yet he's the only one with a moral authority to have contempt for another, and yet that moral authority that Jesus has because he is God also prevents him from having contempt towards another. Any type of moral authority that does not have love for God at its core is not moral at all, but it's self-centered and holds contempt for others. For true morality brings with it a love from God and a love for God and a love for other people created in his image. Jesus is the only one to have the moral authority to have that contempt, but he does it. Instead, he holds out his hand and he says, come to me. Imagine that you stand on the edge of a canyon. The canyon is a thousand miles wide and a thousand miles deep and a, a thousand miles long. Better, let's imagine this canyon is infinite in its depth and infinite in its width, infinite in its length. It is not possible to cross that canyon no matter what and on the one side of this canyon stands all of those with a moral authority to have contempt with a moral authority of righteousness and and rightness before God and on the other side of this canyon stands all of those 
all of those that have no righteousness in and of themselves. Who stands on which side of the canyon? On the first side stands only one, and his name is Jesus. He is the only one. And on the other side stands all of humanity, including all of us. All of humanity, the world over. In every nation, tribe, and tongue, the world over. From the beginning. We all stand on one side of the canyon, and Jesus alone is on the other side. But does Jesus stand on the other side and hold contempt for those that are on our side of the canyon? No, he does not. Where in Scripture does Jesus ever show contempt towards another? He does not. Though he has the moral right to inflict the pain of judgment, he doesn't. For those who come to him in faith, faith in Christ alone. He invites us instead to bring to him our contempt. To lay our contempt in his feet. And to take up the mercy that he pours out on us. Listen, if you're here this morning and you have faced, experienced contempt from Christians, I am sorry. For I know that I have had contempt towards others in my life. I've had contempt towards those that are not Christians and those that are Christians. I've had contempt of, of those of other countries and those of our, of our own country. I've had contempt of others throughout history. And if we're honest, we can all say the same thing. If you're listening and you have felt that contempt from any of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, I am sorry. Jesus does not do that to you. He does not pour contempt out upon you. Instead, he offers you mercy. He offers you grace. He offers you life. It's kindness and the love of Christ Jesus that reveals Jesus. Our contempt will never lead anyone towards Christ. Never. Never. It is the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. Romans chapter 2. In 1 John 4, we read, this is, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, he who does not love his brother whom he, is not, who, who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from God, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Or as Lewis said, if God is love, he is by definition something more than mere kindness. And it appears from all the records that though he has often rebuked us and condemned us, he has never regarded us with contempt. But he has paid us the intolerable compliment of loving us in the deepest, most tragic, most inexorable sense. The humbled one. The humbled one, though he was a tax collector, has eternal life and a relationship with God forever. When you find yourself feeling more enlightened than someone else, feeling smarter than someone else, feeling prouder than someone else, feeling wiser, feeling above someone else, that's the time to run, run, run to the Father with repentance and faith. When you find yourself with a heart of bitterness and contempt for those that treat you with contempt, it's time to run, 
run, run to the Father with repentance and faith. Philippians in chapter 2, Paul encourages us to in humility consider others, all others, as more important than ourselves. There's no room for contempt. This passage begins with, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And it ends with, I'll tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. My friends, I love you. I love you. And I played with you. I plead with you to lay down your contempt. I plead with you to lay down your contempt to those who do not think like you do, who do not dress like you do, whose education is not the same as yours, whose income is less or greater. I plead with you to lay down your contempt to those who might not be as pretty or handsome or popular, or smart, or fit. I plead with you to lay down your contempt of those who do not speak your language, of those whose skin is a different shade of brown or tan. I encourage you to lay down your contempt of those who might have voted differently than you have. My friends, Jesus is very clear here. Jesus is very clear here. Those who are not trusting in their own righteousness but pleading with God for mercy, those are the ones who have a relationship with him, who honor him and who bring him glory. We have no place. We have no place for moral authority or contempt on anyone the world over. So I plead with you to lay down your contempt and take up a plea for mercy. Lay down your plastic sword of contempt and run, 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 run to the Father for mercy. Can we run to him now? Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for mercy. Jesus, thank you for this parable. Thank you for the the way you do surgery on my own heart. Lord, thank you for that. Father, I pray that you would open up the eyes of our heart and that we would, we would see places where we are having contempt upon others. We are trusting in ourselves to be better than someone else. We are trusting in ourselves and our own righteousness to somehow bring you honor and glory, to somehow cause you to be pleased with us. Oh, Father, help us to trust in Christ and Christ alone for life now and life forever. In Jesus, amen.